first as nurses should be looked at alongside the poetry written by soldiers. Often they were very close together at the front line. Now, I did mention earlier in the group discussions that I've got some visual images here today um, because, again, I find it's another way of getting students interested in what you're talking about, putting things in context. Now, I think this image here is particularly interesting because, again, it, it makes that sort of connection with the military, with soldiers. Um, and certainly here, at the back of this recruitment poster, um, hopefully you can make it out there, you've got a list of various countries where the nurses were likely to be posted. So again, this has been very much an international form of service at many different front lines. Now, Vera Britton herself started off serving in London, then was posted to Malta, and then to France, where she was actually right at the front line, and then finally she came back to London. So her poems were written at various different points within this service. Now, I've actually picked out three that I was going to look at very briefly today, but it's going to be even more briefly now because I wanted to respond to some of the other things that have been said this morning. Um, but what I wanted to do here was give you a sense of how her poetry changes as the war progresses, which I think is, is something that's worth considering. So I've got a poem there from February 1916 called Perhaps, which she wrote while she was serving in London. A poem written in, in October 1916, which was written while she'd gone abroad to Malta. And a poem written in France in September 1917. Now, I've just taken very short extracts from these poems for the sake of time, because obviously 15 minutes isn't very long, but just to give you an idea of what these poems are like. Um, this first one, perhaps, which is dedicated um, to Roland Layton, her fiancé, who obviously was killed quite early in the war. Um, and here, hopefully, you can, you can see this to, to read through it a little bit. Um, but it starts with, perhaps the golden meadows at my feet will make the sunny hours of spring seem gay, and I shall find the white may blossom sweet, though you have passed away. Um, now, why might this poem be taught? I'm very sensitive to the fact that we've had a lot of discussion earlier today um, about the, the actual value of literature, you know, which literature is considered good, and I'm aware that women's poetry in this period is often considered to be inferior. Um, nevertheless, in a poem like this, I think students can analyse the tone and imagery, come up with a stylistic analysis, look at um, the nostalgia that's here and the, and the very obvious pastoral images. Students can then trace the influence of the Georgian poets, for example, A.E. Houseman. And this poem can be compared with other poems written early in the war by soldiers, such as Rupert Brooke. So this type of poem needs to be studied in isolation. It can be used as, a, as, a, as something that's comparative within a greater range of First World War poetry. Um, and again, this is what's going to lead to the broadening of the canon rather than, I think, narrowing it down um, to just one or two poems that we consider to be the best. Um, the module that I include this poetry in is one called Movements in British Poetry. Um, and as I say, because my students are, are only spending a very small amount of their time on literature, we have one module in which to give them a whole overview of poetry 
Um, again, this is something that students often haven't come across at all before, and they find the whole idea very, very horrific. So we've got an artist's impression here, and a contemporary photograph of a firing squad. And I usually find that this sort of context, and particularly visual context, can really draw students in. I think the students that we teach nowadays are very visual, and you know they are the generation that wants to watch the DVD and not read the book. And pictures certainly can be a way of getting them interested. Now, one of the questions that I had to ask myself was why was I teaching this contemporary children's literature about the First World War, other than it being just something that I personally was interested in? Well, bearing in mind that I'm teaching this module to students who are then themselves going to go on and teach. And I want to give them an idea, really, of what's out there, what they may be able to go and look at in the classroom. And I think that this literature is important because it encourages children to take an interest in this particular period of history, which is something that I myself feel very passionate about. Um, it facilitates the discussion of various issues such as war, death, duty, nationalism, class difference, gender difference, all issues that still have a contemporary resonance. And also, you can't forget that it creates future scholars and promotes further research. The children that are reading Private Peaceful now may ultimately go on themselves to research the First World War. The problem that I have um, with a lot of contemporary <coughs> texts about war literature is that they tend to avoid representations of patriotism and nationalism. So the actual message that you get within Private Peaceful doesn't sit very comfortably with the actual text written during the First World War. Today the horrors of war are usually depicted from an anti-war perspective and so in Private Peaceful you get the focus on the injustice of Charlie Peaceful's execution. So if the minor characters represent more authentic First World War views and this can be contextualised and explored through First World War poetry written by both men and women. Now I've just taken a very short extract here from Private Peaceful, um, just as an example of the way even a very, very short extract can demonstrate an awful lot in terms of seminar discussion. So here we've got an extract there. The Sergeant Major returned the stick under his arm. So who will be the first brave lad to come up and take the King's shilling? No one moved, no one spoke up. Suddenly, someone prodded me hard in the small of my back. It was a toothless old lady pointing at me with her crooked finger. Go on, son, she croaked. You go and fight. It's every man's duty to fight. Go on, you ain't a coward, are you? Now, the usual student response to this type of extract <coughs> is how terribly awful this woman is, how very, very cruel and callous, encouraging this young lad to enlist as a soldier. But of course it's highly representative of the propaganda of the period and certainly as soon as I read that this was the image that came to me, this poster that the mother of, of war very much seems to tie in the passage and I don't know whether Hogg actually had that in mind when he wrote the passage. Now we've already heard that Jesse Pope is not a great um, poet but certainly this propaganda poem of the time, again, is echoing this particular idea that women should have been encouraging men to be patriotic and <coughs> serve and enlist. And what I found is when I actually 
show poetry like this to students, again, they are horrified. They can't believe that a woman would actually write this, that a woman could actually hold this type of belief. Again, another propaganda poster, women encouraging men to go off and fight, encouraging them in their duty. Also, another comparison, of course, the soon that's been men mentioned a lot this morning, something like glory of women, um, looking at this very callous attitude amongst women of the time. Um, again, co considering you know, why do women hold these beliefs, and indeed how many women actually, in reality, hold these beliefs. It raises a lot of questions that can then go on and be discussed. I think the main point I wanted to make about broadening the canon is that I think it doesn't have to detract from existing canonical texts. I don't want to get rid of existing canonical texts, but I do want to look more widely and provide more of a balance. Um, and certainly I think that considering the literature written by women alongside that of men um, allows a more balanced perspective. Now I've been talking about literature written by men and women, but I think this applies equally to people of different classes and nationalities. And certainly I'm not happy um, with only looking at literature written by English participants within the First World War. And then the inclusion here of children's literature, I think, is really important in allowing further dissemination and discussion of the war and encouraging children to take an interest in what for them is now becoming an increasingly dim and distant part of the past. Okay.